work um, right uh, in helping um, that you recall that your mother and father taught you about thrift from an early childhood. My mom tried to save wherever she could. And if someone would, for instance, ask my dad why he didn't buy a new car, he would say, there are 13 reasons. The first one is that I don't have the money and the other 12 don't count. <laughs> so obviously a sense of humor also that you inherited there. But maybe you can just chat about family and your mom and dad and the impact that they had on your life. It's been a long time ago, but uh, no, my, my father and mother, uh, well, she was a lady who was a man, so they are different, but my mother was more artistically inclined, right, she was uh, related to the loaf, as the and uh, we were cousins, and my dad was more of a rough guy from the, from the Swatland area. So we had a fine balance to keep everybody happy at home. Uh, but I think they shared a common goal, and that was to, to build up a family unit, uh, which obviously helps a lot when you live in a, in a place like Porto, and you're a United Party member, and the rest of the town is either communist or we as a family sort of um, supported each other quite a lot. And, and my dad was a strong man. Um, he was kind and gentle. So, so uh, yeah, I think they did have an influence and we, we didn't live um, smart. You know, we didn't cry and outlive other people. We just lived as ordinary people there and we mingled and stayed with the, with the, with the, with the community. And it was more obvious, as you can feel in Afrikaans, we'd say, but did it for us really, somebody say, leerlijk, but it did for us really, gehou by the waardes van rural mense. Ek het aan die boek geskrywe van my drie vriende wat rugby balle samen geskop het. En dit was ons leerlijk. The names were again like yeah. I I tried to find it today to bring them along, but I don't know if they're still alive, so yeah. It'll be nice. So um yeah, so moving ahead a few years, so you did your CA we did your studied accounting at Southern Bosch and off the decided against um, going GC2 and becoming a doctor. Um, I think that's a legendary story on its own as well. Um, and, uh, I think people can read that story, but um, I, I just wanted to go to, you did your articles and then someone that had a huge impact in your life you met uh, was Rainier van Royen. Yes. So he was the founder of PIP. Um, so you met him, uh, he was one of your clients um, at the audit firm. Uh, and then you started at, the, at, at a young age, very young age, as financial manager at PIP. They wanted to list the company and wanted to have a CA um, uh, as part well of the company. And then a few years later, you basically, and I think a lot of people actually don't know this part of your life, the, the huge impact you had at PIP. Um, you basically took over at PIP for a few years. 
Um, but I just want you to talk about from Roy and, and the impact you had on your life as well, and going forward, the philosophy that you learned there and the way of work and what that you took to ShopRite a few years later. Yeah, uh, Renier van Rijn was probably one of the smartest retailers and business people that I ever met in my life. Now you can just imagine you grew up in Uppington and you work for the court as a, as a whatever these people that come fish stone and stuff and sell it. And you when he came from Uppington, can you imagine leaving Uppington and saying, I'm going to start up or a chain that later became the biggest uh, clothing retailer in South Africa and moving your whole family to Cape Town, hiring a storeroom in Woodstock somewhere. Uh, and, and, and he was just an exceptional man, gentle, well spoken, very, very hard when it comes to business. It's strange because over the three years, obviously, we had our chats in Afrikaans, so now doing this in English is a bit of a challenge for me, but um, yeah, I think. Ik they did it now for the new fund where there's not an English word for gaat for, but they made it really gaat <laughs> And I don't know what would have happened in today's time. So Freddie was the car driver who had a big black Mercedes. And then he said, why did he just get into the car and go and see eight or nine of these guys? I went there and he says, listen, if I find any of you that takes my samples, my styles, my volume buying, and you sell it to my opposition, you will never ever sell to cap stores again. And that is exactly what we are going to do today. We are going to do that together. But he was that strong. He was that strong that he says, listen, this is my business. This is the way I do business. And I don't, I don't allow anybody to interfere with my business. Now for a young guy, and he was relatively young at that stage, come from Uppington, take on all the guns of Marcus here in Cape Town, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's quite, a, quite something to do. And I, I, I had, he was a brilliant retailer. He could, he could just look at something and know that is worth so much. It's made up from that, it's cloth like that. Because he worked in shops himself when he bought, he started off by, when he worked for the Balier, he bought um, clothes, started selling it, and then, the body and work and I believe 
and was, I wasn't there at that stage. But he once bought something like 30 miles worth of material, 30 miles worth of material, and sold it within a year. Now, you know, when over in Uppington, the five winkers of six winkers, and you know, Benny Comrade was still the salesman who did the deal. I think he took his wife overseas on a good mission. But that made material, you know, there was nothing, nothing for him that scared him, nothing was too much for him, and he didn't get messed around because he was brilliant, he was, he was a very good looking guy, he, was, he walked like a king. And really he kept the business together by, by making a big family unit out of it. So we, on Sundays we all, had a, we all went to his house for a bride and we weren't allowed to appoint a new bloke in my department or his department unless we actually invited him and his wife to our house give him as much wine as we could possibly give him, and then know if he should be suitable to If he drinks too much, then we fired him, because we would want to outdrink us in the, in the what's his name, in those young days. But an ongelooflijke man, and really, I mean, Annalise and my kind of said, I'm going to be he was exceptional. It worked much, so he went up the end of his life, of the infancy career was it a big glamorous career for me. But I was the headlines had with Van Rooyen's Express in tip stores. And in the world, it was very gedrukt, because I was not only heel academic aangeleid om all the ideas to understand, not to understand, but to understand the part of his work. Zijn bezigheid uitbreid en alles wat ik weet. En dit is maar wat ik bij hem geleerd heb. En dit een shopreid ook toegepast het om. Uh, rather create an environment for people to grow in. Than trying to just sit in an office, buy from a desk and say, okay, I've just spent uh, so much money buying in other companies. So I was ambassador's barney, but now I had to identify the boot of a family. So that philosophy of, uh, I mean, you're a legend for knowing the, the detail, um, so retail is detail, and you will always had your finger on the pulse of the whole business, and you built your business not from your office, but on the shop floor, so I think that's also something you learned from, uh, from Pet. But I want to go to ShopRite um, at the start. Um, and there's a wonderful story where you were sitting in your office um, doing the books just right after you bought ShopRite and a friend of yours um, or acquaintance from around the Bosch came in, he was uh, a rep for uh, one of the chicken uh, yeah. uh, rainbow or, or yeah, country fair. Yes. So he came in and you saw him and he, he, says, he just heard, hey Finlayson I think was his name. He, he has Whitey's voice and and walks in and you're sitting there in this old little kantuerki, the chair that you said was also always like uh, rocking, because this big guy that sat on it before you. But uh, um, like this, um, like small office space, and you told him that, tell Raymond Ackerman that ShopRite, and I, I, this was 1980, 
tell Raymond Ackerman that ShopRite is going to be bigger um, than pick and pay one day. I mean, was that the, the point or the goal from the start? And how did you actually go about doing that? I mean, it's actually fascinating, uh, looking back, uh, that you had this enormous goal of taking on pick and pay, which was this massive thing way back then. And ShopRite was like eight stores. And uh, like you said, a hodgepodge of the f not even a food re retailer that um, stage. There's a story also we found some shop rights had carpets in, in, the, in the shops. I mean, you took the trolley, the carpets made like these bubbles. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. It, it, so, it was not really a supermarket buying road. It was the owner was a very smart man himself. Uh, he, he, for instance, didn't believe in selling perishables, he says. Especially not in sequin because he says that Jewish ladies they squeeze his tomatoes. <laughs> he was the head of the show, so now they squeeze his tomatoes to get a discount. So yeah. I don't want to eat tomatoes, only potatoes and stuff like that. So we started like that. But um, did we did did we see where we were going to go to? Because at that stage, you must remember when I joined Pep, I was the auditor for. For that, I worked for PwC in those days, Brinkers and the Twin. And I took them to, to list them, and then, then I had to make a, 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 not a career decision, but a decision where do I want to end up. And I think, I mean, I married my wife in, in that year that I joined it permanently. And I knew she wasn't going to be a cheap lady to, uh, to support, so I, <laughs> I built the first 100 stores just for clothing wardrobe. <laughs> so, but, but I had this, I had this, what's his name, and I always admired certain people. So I admired Raymond Ackman. I didn't admire the clothes at, okay, at Checkers or at OK, because I knew they were going to we'll come when the Easter wind blows strong. <laughs> but uh, 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 Raymond was always an a entrepreneurial bloke, very smart, uh, very uh, going to an office with him, you do a deal, and he comes out and he does the press declaration. So he become he's a skilly and he, he's the boss. You know, he did with And then he did that to me as well. I didn't work on a Saturday, I said, I didn't work on a Sunday. I to be on what's his name. So I always had that idea that if we can beat pick and pay, then we, uh, I think in the races, I think uh, somebody said, that one of the big drivers said, if you drove behind Fangio, you're bound to be second in the race. Now I always said, if I drive behind pick and pay, the other guys don't really count. And, and that's what inspired us to, to really move. And I think some of your questions relate to that. It was, I really sat down, I said, how many stores must I open to catch a bloke with five times more stores, six times more stores than me? If you just take inflation growth, at that stage inflation was probably running between 10 and 15 percent, I don't know. But we could never catch up with any of the big guys unless we actually did turn uh, takeovers. The inflation growth was higher than the rate that we could open stores or grow at our best. And Raymond did he but he knew all the blokes. He was he comes from the background of of um, 
that he knew all the suppliers, they were all uh, same religion, same everything, major suppliers. So it was very difficult to compete with him. It was very, very difficult. But he, 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 was, he was an inspiration rather than an opposition, if I can put it that way. Okay, yeah, just uh, interesting. Uh, I mean, well, interestingly enough, I looked at the market cap of ShopRite today. It stands at about 150 billion. If you can pay for 31 billion, um, I mean, that difference is massive. And that's not even market share and all the shops and everything else. Um, but, yeah, so you, in the 90s, you started on the shopping spree. Like you said, now you had to grow with acquisitions. So, first, we had Grand Bazaars then Checkers, and then the legendary one rand deal. Um, and all of these companies were struggling, making millions of losses every day, every month. Um, and everyone was like, there's no way that you can do this and few times in a row and turn these companies around. And I mean, it's a it's an amazing story. Um, how you actually did it. and. The way you got your hands dirty, rolled up your sleeves, um, and I always tell people they always want to know what made White so successful. From my perspective, you can't get away from it. It's bloody hard work. But um, just maybe, what did you do differently that these other guys didn't do? Making these losses and turn around these companies. And I mean, I think it was Checkers within a year was making profits again. So you did something, obviously, this of no, I just woke up in the morning saying, I'm going to sleep during the day. So when I see you here, you can actually make a speech and tell the people about it. You, know about it. you did the work, so. So uh, they, they, they weren't really, um, it's not, there was no magic to turn checkers around. There was no magic to turn turkey bazaars around. It was purely we did what should have been done from day one. And I did write in that last portion of the book, I said, the one thing that, still, that I still haven't made peace with or I still haven't worked out is what goes wrong between uh, the Herbers and Sunlum, where, the, where if you look at the statistics or if you look at the, 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 the formulations of how successful the company should be, all the ma management, all the money, everything was in Sunlam, yet they couldn't do, they couldn't turn the Herbis' business back into profit. Same with breweries and the, and the Cohen's. It's just, there's just something that goes missing. Now, when you looked at um, pick and pay now, I, 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 and I don't want to say, they're good friends of mine, so I'm not saying that they did anything wrong. But if you now take that shop right today, it's like 14 billion compared to 150 billion compared to 40 billion. Woolworths was my, was my, uh, I, I was an article clerk when they were my, my uh, clients. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, they are also like 20, 30%, 20% of top price market cap. So something goes wrong in this process, and I'm not sure uh, if what goes wrong is not the fact that that you accept things and you don't really get involved in the business. I used to leave home and then and then I would drive up to the gate and think, okay, I'm on my way to the office. I would phone Anita and say, give me three hours, I'm not going to be there. 
I drive to the closest store and I probably achieved more in making money and knowing the business than what I would have done and spent that three hours in my office in nice air conditioning with nice tea and reading emails by the thousands. You start reading all the stupid emails that people send you. And it acts out mouth on emails. So please don't send me email. But, but that's the fact. And so, so all the companies we took over, people were so far away from 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 what the actual job was. And it's not the it's not the the, the, the people who run the companies normally, because you must remember the same people. No, not all of them, but. Most of the people, Sergio Mantenengo, stayed on with us. That was the previous CEO of of, uh, of Checkers, and and the other guy I gave you the finances. It was the interference of the corporate uh, people sitting in offices, telling operational people how to run the business without you know. In fact, it's just not a, a way that you people they should make ninety percent of boards obsolete. And then you have bigger companies. So the, the, I think the checkers board was bigger than it had Judge King. I mean, we weren't short of any brains out there before I bought them. Uh, but the people that actually could do the job, I don't think they were even on that management meeting there. Today they have what they call ex-coms. You're not involved in that, but there's an ex-com and a novel com. So yes, I'm out of you have to go back to shop right But more coms there than coms. I mean, it's with Versifta Vies, with you. It is not obvious as you in your contour sit and your crisis is rond om your crisis rond om emails and sikke goed nie. Dit is net nie goed wat wat die besigheid goed maak. So, we need to well, we can go to corporate governance now because I know it's a topic. We spend hours on that topic. And uh, I wrote very little about it because we're not allowed to write the truth. <laughs> yes, okay, that's okay. <laughs> we got you riled up quite a bit. I think we had a lot of debates about it. But, and I, it was Lisa, just to Lisa who said people don't want to be on your boards because you only give them a, a bribery that's to right. be here. Um, and they don't want to be on your boards anymore. But um, maybe talk about corporate governance. You spend a bit on it now, and then, because I think you've got a big issue with it in South Africa, the amount of governance that's, that's happening and um, what, what that's doing to business in South Africa. Thank you. Well, I, I think if you talk about corporate governance, you must also talk about red tape or over-regulating over at the same time. I was thinking in the car, I, I have a small wine farm that my elder son says when I ask him how much wine does your father produce and he says I think just enough for Peter Engelbrecht and him. Now we have to have all these permits and I now have a bit more time to see them. So we, we have to have a permit to export to Europe and something and those guys are smart with all these structures in place and one of the things that they did was you now have to have a, a shower type thing very close to where you 
where you uh, fill the tanks with the sprays that sprays in Vilnius. And that was literally uh, saying how the, the standard in, in the terms of the regulations is eight meters, no, five meters. And we were at seven meters. I mean, the guy had to give a half a step. The that made me, they first charged me two and a half or three thousand rands. The lady, it's normally ladies, it's not that ladies are dumb, it's just that they are told to do things and they unfortunately do it. It's true, they should fight it with that. And, 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 and they charged me two and a half thousand rands each. They had a nice black Mercedes and they made me move one and a half meters. I had to take the shower out of the ground with mm. one and a half meter back. And I said, yes, what difference does it really make? Now, if you go to the corporate government side of it, um, somehow, and I think it's Judge King, because he's the man who, who was uh, the, the good bloke to put in all that. He decided that if, or well, in South Africa, he's like, if you enlist the JSE company and you retire as a CEO, you've got to take three years to cool off before you can get back on the board. Sure. Three years. Sure. Can't go from CEO to just an ordinary director. Now in Switzerland, uh, the Pilates company uh, that I know, know about because they overcharged me for my plane. <laughs> but their CEO went, uh, wanted to retire and they put him on the board and they made him what they call an honorary chairman. That means you've got no say, but at least you, when you go to the toilet you can eat a loaf on the head and say you're buggering this up or you this wrong, etc. Uh, we bang. I said to Tristan, so what you want us to do is to forget anything that you've learned for the last 50 years coming with a blank spade over your head and then you can be a director. Now, that's so silly because uh, not that I wanted to go and do it, I like working for my wife. Um, <laughs> and being under control and see the other days that are strong, that's the you to move the shower two inches. But I mean, there's so much that we leave for Africa, and I don't even know who puts that in, but I mean, at one stage I, I did a, 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 a press review and a, what's his name, and I actually took the papers that we had to comply with. It was more than two inches thick for one single container. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the photocopies cost us a bloody fortune, and it was nothing to do with just getting the stuff over the border. And, and this is whatever company, young people are bold with filling in forms, doing things, going to meetings. I mean, there's so, so many committees. Give you another example. The, my driver says to me, what can you do with the other people? What can you do loan training? I said, how can you do loan training? So I asked the folks, what is the situation with loans? They said, no. Because you're a retailer, you've got to have like a bank license. I don't know. And all we all we wanted is it, when I had the, when I did things somewhat just uh, without not like some people did it without authority. I did it with authority, but my authority. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, the, we used to I used to say write out the check for ten thousand rands, which is nothing in our lives. Give it to the warehouse manager. He takes cash and they run their own scheme. 
You then had loan shark and the guys one that they have a committee, they have a meeting every two months, very important, but it's outside the scope of this advocate and so and so and so. So now we do short-term loans. I said to Cornell, I think we should go into short-term loans because there's such a big gap between the loan sharks and the banks. So it goes very well, leave a loan. But you, you decide, that's a risk or not a risk. Uh, now the government says, okay, now you have, have to report to the regulator. The regulator says, no, 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 you're too stupid. We must tell you when you can get even done. So you've got, to, you've got to comply with this list of stuff before you can give a loan. So what do the banks do? They say, but one of them is you've got to have uh, electricity account or bond account, or you must give a bank statement. Half the people haven't got a bank statement. Virtually none of them have a job that they get a payroll slip or anything like that. And all of a sudden you can't give them loans. Then the bank says, no, we're not going to give you loans. We're not going to give you that paper. It's our business. So what do you do now? You're stuck. You can't give a loan because you can't get it from the bank. And it's so silly. So you drive those guys who are between between the two poles, you drive them into the woods, and my driver says, I, I must now go back to the loan sharks, and they give me 200 rands, and I said, for how long? He says, no, one day, two days, five days, I have to pay them 400 rands back. Now, that was not, it's just because the, 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 the controls was taken away from those people who should be, who should carry the risk. If you give it to a wrong bloke, that's your problem. Now, now the government says, we'll control it for you. And who pays for it? My poor driver, Caddy. So, that is a good one. I can feel a dice in the field of And don't think they're so smart, these guys who did it. Because I can, on one day, release a, a report that signed by about 100 guys and, and a very famous bloke in South Africa that gave us advice on it, but that's for our second book. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, well, it's not related to, to, to analyzism. And yeah. <laughs> I, I called in the first letter, I said, Marcus U.S. likes to look like a homegrown mafia, and my wife's great, so she can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I said, but he wears perfume on his hair. <laughs> Yeah, that was a great quote. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that takes us to, I think, from a conversation with you without having a conversation about um, you mentioning Mr. Eurister and sign off. And um, I think you're also a legend in that sense that you were one of the few people that spoke out against uh, the company and you basically said, you can't see why people would want to put their money into it. So, why did you see that other people didn't? Um, and why didn't they listen? I saw my money going in there and I thought, no, I don't have to see anything. My money is not going in there. But basically, what happened is that Christo uh, wanted to consolidate all his affairs into one company, so he used the sign of as the vehicle. To, to do that, so you pinch stores in and out of the house, and you wanted to put shop right in, and I said no, because I see no reason why we should go into a partnership like that, because I don't think that they 
I have the right uh, commodities to sell, and secondly, I don't, I, I, I don't see people that have got the knowledge or the what's his name to do it. I then analyzed that, the, the, I did the first part myself, and then I got some of the young blokes in our projects department that said, you tell me why we should, in, why we should do this deal. And I came back and said, it's a crazy deal because the cost of, the cost of capital was higher than the return on the assets that they, that they had. Now, I'm not allowed to say that uh, I may get to jail, but see it with the sound guy or me. So I, I, I looked at the business, I looked at all the the subdivisions of the business. I said, is there management to control is, and is it the, the right place? Because what do you want to do with a furniture company? It's, uh, you, if you can't make money on, on your financing portion of it, to sell furniture for at the margins that you can sell that it's just not worth it. So so if you now look at the pyramid of 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 the Steinberg group and you see okay they say all these things were happened on their top in we will put one in what in a week today. I don't know if it's true but uh, I doubt if they will go ever get uh, convicted on the stuff that I've read so far. But that happened in a top pyramid. But all these bottom lines should, should have added up to a profit that gives you sustainability and a return on your investment. And I couldn't see that, so I couldn't fill in the, 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 the last portion of the triangle. Top one, nobody knows what happened there, and probably will never know what will happen there. We'll see what the Germans say. Okay, yeah. um, you also said that's where it comes from, you need to walk around and be on the floor. I think you told the story where you went to, I think it was a Diggy Town somewhere in Australia or something like But one shop where you could see these guys are not on the floor, this is not going to work. Um, and then you did the sum. So I, can, I can repeat that story for them. I'm going to get to jail. I went in there and I looked at, first thing I do when I go into the shop, by the way, the shop is nicely done. You get three tiers of of promotions, and this is very nicely. Done. Um, so I walked in there, and here I saw lots of boxes with shoes and shoes and shoes, and there's a big white uh, like these signs. Now the big white is like very expensive. White is expensive. Yellow is not expensive. So I looked at the oh, the cash is with the merchandise. I'm not sure what are they. Are they in the fashion business or are they in, the, in what's, what is the actual thing? And then I realized that this is what we call jobs that you buy, you buy shoes which may be or may not, not that they didn't buy anything else as well, but 
the overall impression I got was uh, that it's a job buying, which obviously has the end result that your that your size breakdown in shoes is a bugger. Now shoes has only three. It's only the soles of shoes that change, the color of the shoes that change, and the buckles that change. Those are the three things which you see every year. I used to go to Paris to see all those nice girls wearing the shoes in the shows. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, it's, I know a little bit about shoes. And I said, <laughs> I, 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 I wear a size 8, which is about average. In the Cape, it's between a 7 and a half and an 8 and a half for men. Gauteng, I don't know what they, it's probably because the soil is dry there, they wear about a 9 to a 10, but they put it down. And I said, okay, give me that uh, running shoe. What size? I said, 7 and a half to 8 and a half. And of the three or four ones that I tried on, I couldn't get a single one of my size. So I knew that the company was over, was going to be, the size breakdown wasn't good. And I said to them, guys, if you run like that, you're going to have a stock turn, and you're going to have more than a year stock. Because you can't sell uh, somebody a size 8 if he wears a size 12. I mean, it doesn't work. And I found I found the CEO of Petco, who was then, uh, who's now back there. And I said, "What the hell did you people buy this for? But did you do a due diligence?" He says, "No, I didn't buy it. The Bentley Brigade bought it. So what that means, I don't know. But I can quote him, so he can go to jail." He said, "Bentley Brigade." <laughs> so I said to Christy, "Christy, you better check on the Bentley Brigade because this shoe shop of yours." I was going to say it was as bad as when I took over your job in 74, but I had the same problem in pep stores with the shoes. But was it promotion style? I thought, I'm going to a real deep cut. By the way, you get almost a Black Friday for the new set out to it. Yes, you come from Kansas, and you That Friday he brought you to South Africa 2014. I've seen these guys in the store, they all speak Afrikaans. Anyway, sir, you did put that in my opinion, they didn't have the detail. And I'm not saying Wester or his management wasn't good. Yes. They could have been good because I never worked with them, so I can't criticize them. But all I can tell you is what I saw, I would have said, stop. Yeah, stop, dead in your tracks. I want to see the size breakdown of the three stores. And I would have been able to say, yeah, it was it. maybe it was just my bad store or my feet that was so in that day. <laughs> but it didn't work for me. And this is a good but detail. Um, Detail is if you if you walk into a shop right, and and you open the deep freeze cabinet at the back, then you have a heart attack because on a Monday morning on Sunday, the blows when go home they take all those chickens and all the stuff and they throw it inside the what's his name. Now if the boss or whoever comes there does not open that door and his door is coat in there, I will tell you it's cold. And then uh, Alali, he says, asking how many cold rooms he had to go back right on 
Mondays and during the week, then you don't know it. Because there's no computer program that tells you what the store looks like inside, or if the ledges were painted or whatever it was. Nothing. There's just no there's there's still no software that can tell you what a store looks like from the inside. I said I don't know a robot that means half <laughs> I think um, we're going to get questions in the audience, if there's any. Uh, you have a mic. Good evening, I'm David Avari. Mr. Son, I wanted to ask you, I see, I read today the book is selling for 299 rand. I wonder what will you give me for cash? <laughs> I know you come from Seapoint, I need to It's probably a, a note that's not so good in your cash. What the price? Yeah, take five. He gets the profit and the lady in front, she takes Maybe the profit. Uh, I think two questions uh, about your Africa strategy. Yes, uh, ShopRite is one of the few retailers that succeeded across the African continent. And my question is, what do you think uh, you need right to, to get uh, that success? The second one is about I think it's this, almost like a, a store in Track and Fall that I think I read somewhere that it was based on the model that uh, Amazon did around the store that you walk into and you don't have to see a cashier. I think there's some tech that you use you to buy without seeing a cashier. So, what's your thinking there about uh, local tech uh, in retail? Okay, I, I, you know, I'm 70 plus, so I only take one question at a time to the second one because I thought we were talking about a casino or somewhere about the second question, so I don't have a real answer. But if you can have me, the, 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 the African situation is, is quite easy. Uh, if you read all the reports, and, and I read a lot, I really try and read a lot. Uh, if you read all the reports of the World Bank and anything, then you, you and you read and you believe that in business is created by a number of people. So if you come from Porto, you know business in Porto can never be as good as the waterfront. So then Africa has got the highest percentage population growth projected for the next thirty odd years. And it has got the youngest population as well in the world. So as a continent, which effectively gives you a lot of uh, buying power and managerial power to, to, ex to exploit or to, or to not exploit, um, to use for whatever growth you needed. What went wrong with Africa, in some countries, not all countries, is that it was a complete failure of the infrastructure. So people went there. And very much like South Africa, not that it mattered a lot to kick out the Nationalist Party, but uh, you, you shouldn't have changed the civil servants that quickly because 
That's what happened with Africa. And when I drove through Stellenbosch this, this afternoon, my driver said to me, you know, there's no more trains running in Stellenbosch. In fact, the Stellenbosch station was burned two weeks ago. No, all this, all, there's no trains running from Stellenbosch to Cape Town. Now, I spent my life going in a train. I remember clearly I used to buy the burger, and nine people read the burger with me between Darwin and Cape Town. So it was, I, I had to ask, can I turn over the back page? <laughs> but there's no more train. And I said, well, who does it? He says, no, it's the taxi owners. They don't want the trains to run. That's what my driver would ask the, the uh, you didn't see Ricardo, he's here now. You must have heard the story a lot of times. Um, so, so that's what happened to Africa. But there are countries like uh, Botswana. Now, when I first started with Botswana, was in the time when we bought opera stores. Uh, Botswana had no foreign currency, literally no currency. In fact, I spent, literally, I spoke to the bloke, and this is why these speaking is a crook uh, this morning. Actually, I the word, my pal is a crook. <laughs> he was actually. But, uh, and we thought he can actually go and run lodges for us. Uh, we said, listen, we'll buy a few lodges. Because we couldn't get our money out of it. Ten years later, the Botswana currency is about 15% more strong than South African currency. So, and, and one man, Serenzi Kama, said, I want to maintain the civil service at a certain level. He didn't take the local guys because he did, he did keep a lot of them, but he got people from Switzerland and all those people, you know, they like very, uh, but he ran the business. And you could then go to Botswana and do business like you would do anywhere in the world and like the previous uh, guys did the business. So, uh, and we see it. Um, you've got Zimbabwe on the side of the fence and Zambia on the other side of the fence. Zambia has unfortunately yo-yos, yo-yos. But it is, for my son, it's his most profitable country of all the places that he trades. What's the, uh, Angola, the year I retired, we made just over one billion rands profit in Angola. Now, a billion rands is not, I don't think in Cape Town, yeah, there's a lot of people with Ferraris, but they're not many billion rands in your profit companies. So, so, to answer your question, I think it's management and infrastructure and wars, because if you take Angola, the Portuguese, they, they, uh, they just left Angola to the people. And there's beautiful places in Angola. And it took a lot of time. The president there has now been asked to leave, or I don't know what he does. He was a, a really an eloquent guy. I, I met him, but he was so on his own and so by himself that funny things happened, they say, and the new guy is slowly but surely resurrecting it. And it's the third biggest economy in Africa. Third biggest in Africa apart from Nigeria. So easy, uh, but hard work. Um, hotels virtually non-existent when, I, when we started. We slept mostly in houses uh, of other people. 
We opened stores with caravans because there were no place to stay. And we had Honda engine keys, like they made the electricity for us. And uh, fortunately, I didn't go to too many of those but notice all this, I think, grew up in them. Uh, and, and you just have to do it. And today, well, I don't know if this, the, the new um, board, I think they prefer Switzerland. Not sure. I have a feeling that. <laughs> uh, but Africa needs a lot of hard work and a lot of care and a lot of energy to put in right from the how you get the stuff there to how do you unpack it, generate it. If you go into most of the African countries, get it at ESCOM, Nigeria, they, I think they switch off the electricity for the gas guys to make money for a change. So that's the other car. But it's, 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 it's potentially, and if you look at that, and that's what I always bet on, is the upside of a country. Now, what is the upside of most of Europe? It's very low because people have lots of money there. It's an old age home with a lot of uh, uh, opera houses. But uh, it, it doesn't have the upside of Africa. But can you do it? No, it's not nice. It's really not nice. I mean, I remember one of the guys, a good friend of mine, owns a lot of hotels throughout South Africa and now in Africa as well. They asked me, what, is, what do you want in the hotels? I said, you know, when I go into the hotels when they were now coming up, they charged us like $250 for, per hour for a small room that you can see your, your clients in. So I said, just make enough rooms in the hotel with small sitting rooms in the middle that you can see your clients there, that you can order breakfast to come up to you, etc., etc., etc. Now those things are non-existent. And, and that's what Africa needs and gets. And I hope I'm still alive by the time that Nigeria becomes really number one because they're, they're on the spot now to, to really start switching those things. If they get their currency solved, it's fine. But it was difficult. I sat with the president and I made a mistake. I walked, I walked behind his desk, but he wasn't there. He was still coming. Walked right like to talk to the prime minister on the other I was sitting beside the table. It's a big, long table, because those guys, they have many people that come to you. <laughs> and, 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 and I said, we were talking about apples. I said, you know, you don't have apples in this country. He says, obviously we have apples. I said, Mr. President, just stop there. I'll take my planes on your park parking lot. I'll take you fly me to the place where it is. It's smuggled in from your neighboring countries. And he looked at the Minister of Finance and he says, is that correct that Mr. Presidente says, I'm afraid to tell you, Mr. President, he's correct. If you just take that type of thing away from it, can you imagine how big that country, how fertile the land is, how many people are there that would want to work, and if you can stop all these faction fighting. Let's just call everybody pink or whatever it is. No, no color, no religion, no background, nothing else. I've got a new dog now. My wife gave it to me for my wedding anniversary. It's a fantastic little dog. It's, it's, a, it's a, a French bulldog. A French bulldog. 
Very expensive dog, David. It's the second most expensive dog, so if you want to give me another one. <laughs> and, 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 and it looks, it's that big and it's black. So I've got a photograph of it. I call it the Tokolosi. That looks like I'm in the Tokolosi. Okay, the second question, sir, that you asked me with time. I spoke so long. Yeah, thanks. I think that's a good uh, answer. I think. There's a, there's a, uh, I, I've forgotten now, that's how I remember the other day, sir. No, no, not Mark Twain. It was the bloke who did the, there's a, there's a specific guy. If you give my, your, your name, I will send it to you. That did all the projections of Africa and the world's population growth. And if you read that, he's died, and I, there was a medical doctor, but it's just unbelievable when you read that. And don't forget, China's population is going to go 400 million down in the next 30 years. So you can go to China and get land cheap in it. This population is doing one child policy, projected to go down in 400 million or 200 million in the next 30 years. Okay, sorry, sir. So the, the second question is about Amazon. Amazon has the store in the US that they pilot in. And the store, you, you go in, you take a good inside, and you walk out. Yeah. So I've read somewhere that you, you wanted to implement something similar at ShopRite. It is actually that the store is up. It was just to check the technology. <coughs> I said then don't build more than one. Because, um, I mustn't say this, but uh, I know of no uh, 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 company in the world that delivers groceries that makes a profit. No company. Walmart bought into that. Uh, I think Amazon bought uh, a store in London as well. Whole Foods there, Dava? Amazon. Uh, and, and that is that uh, that that you walk in. It's fantastic because all it is there's something in that shelf that tells the computer you've taken something out and it charges you for what you've taken out. But I don't think with our margins of profits and the and the and the consumers we service in South Africa. And if you look at the projections that. It, Two and a half percent or two percent growth, and you need five just to cover the the increase in the population. That the margins will pick up, or that the the people will uh, increase the the basket that much that it becomes more important, uh, like it is in the U.S. So they make lots of money out of a single uh, purchase. <coughs> Here, Mr. Lali wants discounted one book. <laughs> and he's only retired for a year, can you believe it? <laughs> Hello, Whitey. Sherry Parker. Hello, they come here to see you. I thought you were coming to visit me on the farm. Yeah, actually, now we're planning a trip in December. Now you must be for the 25th and it's Christmas and I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> what I want to ask you is um, 
and I'm not here to speak about you. I mean, you're a legend uh, in your own behalf. But where do you think? In my own mind, though. <laughs> where do you think the retail landscape will be in a five to ten year period? Will there be any consolidation? And do you see any move from Walmart, particularly in view of the fact that they have bought out the balance of the shares, they now own MashMart 100%? Do you see an, uh, an acquisition in the, in the making? And uh, where would that retail landscape be in five to ten years' time? Difficult. Um, when Walmart came here, I, I had to speak them out of. Uh, out of doing a deal with us and to convey, and I actually spoke them into into Nashville at the time. Uh, the one thing I kept uh, with the competition commission is that they have to say Nashville has to say listed because then the old ego thing comes into play, and they can't really squash you under the table with uh, a non-listed company. So we have to see what the intention of Walmart would be uh, now that they can drop it. They're not responsible for their profits anywhere and they have enough money to have their petty cash really cause damage to South African retail. Uh, they've done lots of mistakes with gamers, you, you know, well, uh, really messed that up. The hardware business, I think, is quite smart and smart here. I don't give me a discount as well. <laughs> so they're nice boys. <laughs> but uh, I, I think if, if they bring a big check, they may buy one or two South African companies that may suit them. I think, I think I know a few sellers uh, in, the, in the marketplace. And then they can really become serious because they, they just, they are a serious player. They just called very bad shots and ran it very badly in South Africa. But they are a serious player. If you look at their, as I said, their hardware company, it's very good. Again, they, they asked me for the financial, and I said, if they haven't closed, they should disclose it down. <laughs>